Please turn with me, if you would, to Ruth chapter 3. Book of Ruth chapter 3. Sometimes it's a challenge to get the right man and the right woman to come together. Now, Chelsea likes to watch Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, I'm not a big fan. In fact, I told her the other day that just once I would like to see the woman choose to go back to the beach or back to the city with the rich guy and leave the country guy in the farm uh, just to give it something different. Um, But if you've ever watched one, there always seems to be that older woman or perhaps an older guy, but usually a woman who secretly knows that these two belong together and is somewhat working and encouraging behind the scenes uh, to get these two main characters to come together. And and sometimes you need that character. In fact, I wouldn't be here without that character. My grandmother is that character. Uh, She went to the store one time uh, and to go get an ice cream, and my mom was there working, and she went back and told my dad, hey, you should go ask the girl out. And so he did, and as they say, the rest is history, and here I stand before you today. Well, in the book of Ruth, we see uh, in our story today that Naomi kind of is that character in the background kind of provoking, or at least it seems so. She's trying to set them up. But we began the story of Ruth by looking at Naomi's bitter lament as she and Naomi lost everything but each other. And then chapter 2 gave us a little bit further insight into the character of both of these women, uh, and it also gave us a measure of hope. So we learned, as we saw Ruth take refuge under the wings of God in a foreign land, and God mercifully led her to a certain field that was owned by a certain man who was named Boaz, and Boaz is one of their family redeemers, one of their kinsmen redeemers. And we find out about the nature of Boaz, that he is a God-saturated man in both of his his business relations and his personal relations. And we see Naomi, when she hears about Boaz, she sees how God is working and she begins to exalt God. And so now we have a a God-saturated man, we have a God-dependent young woman, and we have a God-exalting older woman. So what do they do when they are filled with hope in the sovereign goodness of God? Well, that's what we're going to determine this morning. So if you would, look with me, beginning in verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find security for you so that you will be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants this evening... He will be winnowing barley on the floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will explain to you what you should do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray as we study these characters today, that you would help us to understand ourselves better and that you would prompt us uh, to love you and to have faith in you that is an active and moving faith. Lord God, I pray that you would empower us and encourage us with your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. 
Amen. So first, we're going to look at the person of Naomi. Naomi has an active faith in God, and that active faith initiates a righteous effort. When we left chapter 2, Ruth had received an abundance of kindness from Boaz. It was just really, if you look in the context of the time, it was mind-boggling how kind and how generous Boaz was. And the thing about Boaz that's important for Ruth and Naomi is that he not only is he a wealthy old owner, but he's also a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. So Boaz welcomed Ruth to come work in his field. In fact, he said, don't go anywhere else. Come here, and I'm going to make great provision for you and Naomi. But when we ended chapter 2, we said that Ruth was still living at home with Naomi. And I mentioned that our, the, the idea of the story is, no, we don't want her living with Naomi. We want her living married to Boaz. But we left off chapter 2 that she was not. Well, chapter 3 begins with Naomi taking the initiative. The time of the harvest was coming to an end. They had harvested barley. Now they had harvested the wheat, and, and it was coming to an end of the harvest. And Naomi wanted to find a home for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, a home where she would have security, she would have peace. And so they would seek security in the person of Boaz. Boaz had already shown this great kindness to Ruth, and so Naomi had a plan. And notice Naomi had done her research. She knew where Boaz was going to be. She knew what Boaz would be doing, and she knew how to prepare Ruth to go speak to him. Now, this might appear to be just an old woman doing some matchmaking. But I think there's more to it than that. And the clue is found in verse 2. She says, Boaz is one of our kinsmen redeemers. He's a relative of Elimelech. See, Naomi knew the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And in Old Testament times, it was vital that a man's name would be preserved. For if a man died without an heir then his property would be forfeited. It would go to someone else. And this parcel of land that had been given to this family member had been passed down from generations from the time of Joshua. God had promised to give the nation of Israel the land of the promised land, of the land of Canaan. And so he sent Joshua in, and, and they battled against the, the pagans in Canaan. And then they gave this land to the families of Israel. And so an heir provided the promise that the land could not be sold. The land was not to leave from the, the, the family line, but it happened if there wasn't an heir. And so the law said that if there was a widow of a dead man, then one of her husband's relatives were to marry her and to provide for her an heir under his brother's name. So the first child, the first male that was born under that union would legally be considered the dead husband's son. And so the, the lineage would continue. And on the basis of God's law, Naomi was willing to initiate in faith that God would provide for her daughter, Ruth. Now Naomi's logic and her faith determined her next steps. She said, look, Ruth, you've already won Boaz's favor. 
and she knew there was this good opportunity before them, and so she determined to take action, or rather that Ruth should take action, that is in line with what God's word says. And so knowing that God is in control of all things and that he has plans that are going to come to fruition no matter what happens, that, that shouldn't keep us from having an active faith. It shouldn't prevent us. We, we can't just be cow potatoes and go, okay, well, God said he's going to direct. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and relax and let God take control of this. But rather, it should cause us to, to look in accordance with God's word and to see what action is in accordance with what he tells us in his word. And in causing all things to happen, he does so in a way that upholds our ability to have free choices. Now, we have free will, but he does so that we are responsible for our choices and our actions. Because his word contains his standing instructions for his people. He already has told us what to do, and as we read those words, he calls us with the enabling of the Holy Spirit to apply the Word of God to each and every circumstance of our lives. And so an active faith takes the initiative that is based on God's Word. For instance, if you go out to encounter unbelief, guess what you don't have to do? You don't have to pray about whether to them. God's word has already said that we are to spread the gospel to an unbelieving world, that we are to tell them the good news of Jesus. Now you should pray that God would empower you, you should pray that God would lead you in the right words to say, but you don't have to question, should I witness to this person or not? The answer is yes. Right? God's word has already said that. So your faith should be active and initiate a gospel conversation. Or perhaps consider this. A young man has met a young woman, and they get along well, begins to, to really like her, and he asks to go on a date with her, and, and things are going well. And so he's wondering, should I propose to her? Well, I would say for the most part, there's some biblical examples, some biblical principles to follow. First of all, if the man asks, is she a believer? He's a believer. Is she a believer? And if she is, then you can proceed to the next question. If she's not, you've already got the answer. The answer is no. You shouldn't do it. If she does, though, would that relationship, does that relationship help him in his walk with the Lord, or does it hinder him in his walk with the Lord? If the answer is that it hinders the walk with the Lord, then the answer is no. Proposal of marriage would not be a good idea. If the answer is yes, then you can continue on to the next question. The Bible says that the husband must love his wife as Christ loves his church. It's a sacrificial love. It's a serving love. And so the man must ask, am I willing to love this woman, to serve this woman in such a way as the Bible tells me to do so? And if the answer is no, then the answer is don't propose. If the answer is yes, then there's some other questions you can ask, but at least now you've got a good basis of what the Bible says and how that's applied to one's life. 
Well, Naomi, she illustrates the logic of faith. She put her circumstances, or rather Ruth's circumstances, against what God's word already said. And it says that the widow is to find a relative in the husband's family who will be her kinsman redeemer and go and ask him to redeem her. And so Naomi says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to put the circumstances of our life against the standing orders of God's word and take faithful initiative according to the principles of God's word and apply that logic and uh, the logic of the Bible to every circumstance, every decision in life. So God gives to you the responsibility to make decisions, but he delights in your use of faithful initiative when you do so in accordance with his word to work for his purposes. So that's what Naomi has done in these first four verses. Now look with me at verse 5. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her. And after Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. Then she went in in secret, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled. He turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, Who are you? I am Ruth, slave, she replied. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. Notice here, we find in the person of Ruth that an active faith seeks a redemptive process. An active faith seeks a redemptive process. Notice about Ruth's character. I'm going to bring this up a few times, but first of all, Ruth humbly submitted to Naomi's suggestion. So she said, yes, Naomi, your plan, I'm going to follow it. She prepared herself. She no longer wore her, her widow's clothes, but she put on new clothes and put on perfumed oil, a, a characteristic that is oftentimes in Scripture associated with marriage. She prepared herself to go find Boaz, and she went to go find Boaz at the threshing floor. So what is the threshing floor? Because I always pictured this building and there's a floor, and somebody's in there working. But no, the threshing floor is actually just an open section in the field where the process of winnowing the grain took place. And it was common practice for the farmer to, to work out in his field, winnowing grain late into the evening, working hard uh, on winnowing the wheat. And then because it was just out in the middle of the field, they often slept out there to prevent thieves from coming and taking their hard work. And so they would sit out there and have this big winnowing fan, and they would take it and shake it like this, and all the chaff and all the, the, the not good stuff would blow away, and all the good stuff would remain, and they'd make it a pile. And so he's been out working, doing this, this hard work of, of gleaning, not gleaning, of winnowing all day long, which says something about his character, right? He's the master. He's the boss. He could have had somebody else do it. But here Boaz is out working in his field, and then he eats, he gets his body filled, and what happens when you've had a long day of work, you come home late at night, you eat a bite, what do you do? You sleep, right? I'm tired, I'm going to bed. All right, so he, 
he just laid down in the field, as was the custom, and covered himself with his cloak and went to sleep. And then Ruth, dressed in her best and smelling mighty fine, comes to Boaz in his field. Now Boaz is in good spirits. He's worked hard the, the, following the time of the, the famine. Now the harvest is good. There's plenty. He, everything's going well. He's in good spirits. And some people like to say, well, he's drunk. Well, I don't think he's drunk. I think he's just, everything's going well. So why would he not be in good spirits? God had provided well for them, and so he laid down, he went to sleep, and he was happy. Well, Ruth came to him at night while he was sleeping. She positioned himself, her, I'm sorry, she positioned herself at his feet, which can you imagine? He's been working out in the field all day long, right? His feet probably smell pretty awesome, right? Uh, that's a good smell, right? How romantic to lay down at his feet and smell his sweaty, nasty feet, right? I don't think there's anything really romantic going on here. And some people wanted to say, well, he was drunk and, and she was trying to seduce him. I don't think that's what's going on here. There, there's nothing romantic here. She comes in, she positions herself perpendicular at his feet, which is an oriental sign of I'm a servant and I'm putting myself at your feet in fact oftentimes if there was a servant working out in the field that would be the position the posture they would take would be to lay perpendicular at the master's feet and there's a whole sermon principle there but I'm not going to go into that uh, at this time but point being there's nothing romantic going on rather as Ruth comes to Boaz she comes to him in humility she positions herself as a servant she humbly submitted to Ruth or to Naomi and, and went to go do things as she said. She humbles herself and positions herself at Boaz's feet as a servant. And she sought the security and the redemption that was available to her through the person of Boaz on the basis of God's law. And so in the middle of the night, Boaz awakes to find, hey, there's this woman who's lying at my feet, and he's startled, right? He's probably not able to see well in the dark, right? Most of us can't. So he says, who are you? And notice Ruth's humility here again. I am Ruth, your slave. She positions herself in both word and deed in humility before him. And there's a great lesson there for us. Jesus taught that the humble are blessed for they will inherit the earth right the meek the humble it's easier to get what you desire when you come in humility rather than in haughtiness may we all be as humble as Ruth who positioned herself at the feet of the master to be a slave yet though she was humble she was also bold because she came and she told Boaz exactly what she desired. And we have that same privilege with the Lord. We can come to him and tell him exactly what it is that we want. And I believe the crux of this whole chapter is found at the end of what she says in verse 9. She says, spread your cloak over me for your family redeemer. The Hebrew 
word that's used here, translated as cloak or garment, is the same word that Boaz used back in chapter 2. Boaz had commended Ruth because she came under the Lord's wings for refuge. Right? And there's this great connection between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the wings. Having taken refuge under the Lord's wings, she now comes and asks that Boaz would take her as his wife in accordance with God's law to provide the protection and the security that she needed that he would put his wings over her. Well, in this story, Boaz is is a type, he's an image, a precursor of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer that God has provided for all mankind. He is related to us in that he came as a man. He is 100% completely human. He was 100% completely God, but he came to us as a man. He is our family. We're related. And he is the redeemer. Notice Ruth's humble request illustrates to us what it's what is involved in becoming and in being a Christian. For to become a Christian, you must first humble yourself. See, human pride says, I can do it on my own. I can do enough good works. I can be righteous enough. I don't need God. But the Bible teaches that all mankind is in need of a Redeemer. That all mankind has failed to reach God's holy standard of living. The Bible teaches us that we can't do enough good works to outweigh all the bad works. If we've done one bad work, we've done them all. And we are under condemnation. In fact, Scripture tells us that even the deeds that we think are good, even the deeds that we think are righteous, are merely dirty, nasty rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. And so we are in need. Each person has sold themselves into slavery to sin. And we are bound in unrighteousness. We're all in need of redemption. And Jesus provided the redemption that was needed for all mankind. When he died on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that was to each and every person. That he took the punishment of each and every person's sin upon himself. And he did what we could not do. Becoming a Christian means that you humbly ask the Lord Jesus to provide the protection, to provide the security that we need. And he has provided that protection from the punishment of our sins. And he gives to us the defense. There is no condemnation for our iniquity. And it is only through his redeeming sacrifice on the cross that you and I can be redeemed, that we can be protected, that we can be defended and have security. It's only when we take refuge under his wing that the protection is available to us. The work of Christ on the cross is sufficient for all mankind, but here's the thing, it's only sufficient for those who have trusted him and who have placed their faith in him, the only for those who have humbled themselves and placed themselves under his cleansing blood. 
But living as a Christian also involves that we have to stay under his wings. It requires a humble reliance upon Christ. And we have to recognize the dangers of this life. We have to recognize the desire of our sinful nature that wants to lead us away from Christ. We have to understand the lure of the pressures of this world that want to lure us out from the safety of his wing. We have to understand the schemes of the devil who seeks to devour us like a roaring, roaming lion. We have to recognize the danger so that we will remain at rest in our Redeemer. We will not seek out these other things. For Christ provides protection and security for those who actively seek his redemption. Well, Boaz recognized that there were dangers for a foreign woman in the middle of the night out in the field. And so he made sure to ensure her protection then, but he also made sure to ensure her protection in the future. And we who live under Christ's wing, we can learn a lesson here from Boaz. Christ demonstrates his loving kindness toward us so that we can demonstrate his loving kindness toward others if we accept the responsibility that he's given to us. Look with me at verse 10. Then Boaz said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say since all in town know that you're a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz says, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. She held it out. He shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, how did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then verse 18, Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. See, an act of faith accepts biblical, scriptural responsibility. Boaz recognized that what was happening was of the Lord. And he shows his willingness to accept his responsibility. Boaz committed to Ruth that he would do what she asked. He committed himself to act on behalf of Ruth and Naomi. And he accepted the responsibility to act for their good on the basis of God's word. But first, there was an obstacle to overcome. Now, while we thought there's nothing going on in the progression of the story between Ruth and Boaz, we find there's some stuff going on in the back ground that we don't know there's some things that Boaz is doing in this interim time that we don't see brought forth immediately in the story but we find it as we read it here Boaz has been working not only had he been personally watching Ruth 
as she's working in the field and, and learning more about her, seeing her character, seeing her hard work ethic, seeing how she provides for her mother-in-law. But he's been going around town asking about it. What do you think about this Ruth the Moabitess? And all the people had the same thing to say about her. She is of noble character. She was respected by all. And so Boaz was willing to accept the scriptural, biblical responsibility that he had to her. But he discovered, as he's preparing to do this, that there is another kinsman redeemer who's actually close in relation. And so it would be his responsibility to take her, to redeem her. There was another man who would redeem her. But he promised that he would promptly address this legal matter. But in the meantime, he had already begun taking care of her. He had demonstrated that such care would continue rather than sending her back to Naomi in the middle of the night because it might seem improper to have a woman out on the threshing floor in the middle of the night. He said, it's dangerous out there. Stay here with me. I will protect you. I will make sure you're cared for. So she waited until right before dawn. Then he said, don't go home empty-handed. I'm going to give you six measures of barley so you don't go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So he sent her home with provision. He provided protection and provision for her. And because of his act of faith, he accepted the scriptural responsibility of his position. And again, Boaz points us to Jesus because Jesus accepted the responsibility that was given to him. Even while Jesus was hanging on the cross, as a man, he had a, a mother named Mary, right? And it was his responsibility as the firstborn male to provide for his mother. And so what did he do while he was hanging on the cross? He looked at John. And he said, John, take care of my mother. Mary, behold your son. He made sure she was provided for. He made sure protection for her. An heir, though not physically linked, not biologically linked, spiritually linked. He took care of her. And then ultimately he died on the cross to take responsibility for all of us, for all of mankind. He died as our Savior. He died as our Redeemer. He died as our substitute. Because he took the responsibility that was upon us, he took that responsibility upon himself. And so active faith means accepting biblical responsibility. So what does that mean for us? Well, men, I'm going to talk to you first. Because men, we have the biblical responsibility to lead our households in faith. You should be the ones, men, who lead your wife and your children and your grandchildren in learning and following biblical principles. You should be the ones who are leading in home family devotion times. You should be the ones who are making sure your family gets to church in the morning on Sunday mornings. It is your God-given responsibility that if you, listen, if you want to trace the breakdown of society, look at the men. Where men are absent, whether physically, spiritually, or mentally, or relationally, when men the family falls apart. The family is forced 
to respond in a way that is unnatural. It's out of the created order. So men, we have a responsibility to lead our families in righteousness. For when men fail to lead, society fails. Now parents, you have the responsibility to train your children in righteousness. It is not the church's job to teach children how to be righteous. We can't do it. It's not possible. We maybe, possibly, have the children here for a few hours a week. But the parent has the child there every day, and it's your responsibility as a parent to pour Scripture, to pour biblical instruction into the lives of our children. Parents are the ones who are responsible for teaching them about God. Scripture doesn't tell us that church should make sure to raise up a child the way that they should Parents raise up a child in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. Parents take responsibility. Christians, you have responsibility to other Christians. Did you know that? This isn't a Lone Ranger situation. Can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. We're told by Scripture numerous times that we are to come together, to encourage one another, to care for one another, to sympathize with one another, to serve one another, to teach one another, and to admonish one another in the Lord. And one of the ways that we do that is a gathering of what we are this morning that we call, guess what, a service. You know why it's called a service? Because we come together to serve one another, not to sit in a pew and stare at a screen, not to sit in a pew and stare at the preacher. We come together to serve one another, to admonish one another in the Lord. We don't come into the building to sit, but to serve. And this is a time of publicly worship, worshiping God, but you can do that anywhere. You can do that down by the riverside. You can do that underneath the tree. We come into this building to worship in mutual encouragement and in care. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, it says, don't stop going to church meetings although some people do stop, but help each other to be strong in the Lord, you must do it all the more as you see the great day coming closer. And in your relationships with non-Christians, if you're here and you're a Christian, you have a responsibility in your relationship with non-Christians to, first of all, live in such a way that you don't take away from the beauty of the Lord Jesus. That you live not to make him attractive, he's already attractive, but you live to show how attractive he is by living according to the Bible. To living a righteous life as he's working in you. But we also have the opportunity, the, the responsibility to speak gospel truth into every situation. To speak the gospel to those who have not heard it to tell them about the love of Jesus an active faith accepts the responsibilities that we find in the Bible and to apply them to each and every situation in our lives so here's the question do you have an active faith what is an active faith an active faith takes initiative with biblical principles an active faith humbly seeks the redemptive protection of the Lord. An act of faith accepts biblical responsibility. 
Notice how an act of faith is unselfish, it's generous, and it's kind. Naomi took initiative, not for her benefit, although she did benefit from it, but who was she primarily focused on? Ruth. She wanted to make sure Ruth was provided for. Now, Ruth submitted to Naomi and asked Boaz for protection for Naomi's benefit and for the sake of her deceased husband. It wasn't necessarily for her, although she benefited from it. Boaz committed himself to acting for Ruth and Naomi's benefit, and he got really nothing from it except for a woman. And so you can take that how you want. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, He got Ruth from it. He got a mother-in-law from it. But it cost him financially. It cost him time. It cost him legal benefits. So he gave those up to accept the responsibility. Each of them points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the greatest act that ever happened in the history of the world where Jesus unselfishly, costfully, and generously and kindly redeemed us by his death on the cross. Have you placed your faith and trust in him today? That's that you'd stand with me as we have a time of response, a time of invitation. Do you have an act of faith? Is it evident in your life that you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you living in accordance with the word? Are you accepting the responsibility that he's given to us? If not, maybe you need to spend some time talking with him right now in prayer, repenting of your sin, turning to him. Maybe you've never done that the first time. You need to accept Christ for the first time. If you'd like to know more about how to do that, I would love to speak with you. I'll be waiting down here at the front, and you can come down and ask me about that. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in your house to hear your word proclaimed. 